Welcome to the Language Mastery Show. This is your host, John Fotheringham. In today's show, I interview Ellen Joven. She is behind the site Words and Worlds of New York. I really enjoyed our chat, and I hope you get a lot out of it. As you'll see in the interview, we have a fairly different approach to language learning, but that just proves that there's more than one way to skin the linguistic cat. For show notes and to learn more about Ellen, go to languagemastery.com slash podcast. All right, let's go hang out with Ellen. All righty. Well, should we uh, dive into the deep end here? Sure, I'm ready. All right. Um, well, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate you being on the show. Thank you very much for having me. So first of all, how did you get into languages? What was the, the big aha moment or have you always been a language nerd of sorts? Uh, I have always loved language. I was, um, I took, in my school experience, I was given language classes at a pretty young age, kindergarten, and then maybe a, a hiatus for a few years. And then starting in fourth grade again, I just had nonstop uh, language classes until, wow. until I left graduate school, really. And so it's been a part of my life. I think maybe this is one thing that I've reflected on lately is though um, is that maybe my family experience had a had a had a bigger role in that even than I was thinking initially. Um, a lot of people in my family uh, actually grew up in other countries. They're Americans, but they grew up in other countries, and so I have a lot of um, natively bilingual relatives. And so hmm. even though I am not that, it it, um, I don't know, I guess it resided in my brain as a, a way of living. Right. It was a, it was a norm. It wasn't a, a big it deal. Was, it was, and I was used to hear, I've actually been thinking a lot about this in terms of accent in particular. I'm used to hearing people who are close relatives speak natively in foreign accents, which is, I think, something that a lot of Americans aren't used to hearing. I mean, there are many are, of course, but... But there are a lot of people who, you know, aside from their French class or Spanish class in school, really don't don't see that modeled for them. And I had that modeled for me, and I was kind of envious of it. I also spoke German when I was very young, from age two to four. So I guess you know, for a little while there, I was more or less natively bilingual. But it went away when because when I moved back, when I moved to California, it went away because there aren't gobs of native German speakers in the streets of Los Angeles. Yeah, just just at Oktoberfest. <laughs> And I'm not sure what they're speaking then. <laughs> it's it's Jernglish or whatever it's called. So what languages did you study in school then growing up? And, and what languages did you hear from your relatives? I heard Spanish and German from relatives. Um, my father was born in Buenos Aires. And uh, a number of my cousins were raised in Mexico. It's pronounced Buenos Aires. Okay, let's go. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's okay. I'll <laughs> let, let it slide. Let me Please let me write that down. And I'll tell my <laughs> father, too, because he will probably be <laughs> relieved to know. All these years <laughs> later, yes. Um, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so it's Spanish and German uh, from relatives, and then in school, what languages oh, did you school, learn? right. So when I was in kindergarten, my, my mommy was my Spanish teacher. Isn't that cute? Really? So, Yes, it was so cute. So she came to my little kindergarten class and taught me, taught Spanish and taught all the other kids Spanish, which I wasn't always so thrilled about because she was per my, my, my right. personal mother, you know what I mean? 
Um, and then I didn't, then I didn't have language in school until fourth grade again, but I actually, fourth grade's pretty, pretty darn good in the American school system. Yeah. So I had Spanish starting in fourth grade. I learned a lot in, in fourth through sixth grade. Then when I started in my junior high school, I was really ready to go and I got, you know, I got put into more advanced Spanish classes and then just kept on with that through almost the end of high school, at which point I picked up German again, and then I added French in college. So I took classes in all of those things. I, I was kind of annoyed that I didn't get to Italian before I finished college, but I didn't. I had to do that later. Sure. And then, sure. um, yeah, so anyway, I was always taking language classes. For a while, I was majoring in math and taking language classes, and um, the math classes did not go very well. The language classes <laughs> went great. And so finally, I realized that maybe... I was doing the wrong thing for a major. Well, I'm glad you figured that out. Me too, too because late. it was pretty wretched. Yeah. Yeah, I had a similar experience. I started in industrial design my first three years of school, and then finally I took a linguistics class and had an aha moment. I was like, oh, I'm in the completely wrong department. So it was really a linguistics class that was your aha moment? Uh, yeah. I mean, well, I also took Japanese okay. about the same time, and it was sort of both together, but yeah, the... Uh, the linguistics uh, 101 class was just, I mean, granted, I had a brilliant professor. It was just, he has, you know, just, he was so charismatic and so passionate about it that you couldn't help but get caught up. But that's great. Yeah. So when did, I never how, took how far a linguistics into, class. Right. I never took a linguistics class. I feel that that is a whole, it's on my list of things to try to do something about. Yeah. It's, it's a fascinating, you know, pit of, <laughs> never-ending, uh, you know, information and uh, treasures and, yeah, I mean, it, there is no end to it. But um, the key is, I think, though, that it's not necessary to learn language. It's it's sort of interesting stuff that goes on top of it or on the periphery of it, but it's certainly not uh, required. Oh, yes. So I actually looked at linguistics classes in college, and I just wasn't as interested in them. And I even the books that I have on my shelves that have a more linguistic mm -hmm. type of approach to things, I'm just not as drawn to. So I, it's one of those things that I feel I should know more about, but I, I, I find that on language boards and so on, I'm frequently you know, commenting, I have no idea about this. The the language of it is alien to me, and it's it's a little bit hard for me to get into. But, you know, I just feel being a responsible language <laughs> lover, I need to fill in the blanks. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I recently have come to think of should as a bad word. Really? You know, for something just like that, you know, the belief, oh, I should know this or I should be. Does it make a and, difference if I say have to? <laughs> I, well, it's, I think it's even worse, perhaps, but... <laughs> no, because then you, you come to it, you know, with a heavy heart, and it, it's something you feel like, oh, this is homework. And I well, think I do. I I completely agree with you, and I'm generally motivated by um, by pleasure. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm not very task oriented with myself. If I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it. But one thing that bothers me is just being shut out. Yeah. So I think you're just having a few tools. I don't think it's a path that I, I, I really don't think it's a path that I will pursue tenaciously though. Yeah. Well, fair enough. And I, you know, as someone who has a linguistics background, I'm always extremely annoyed by, you know, there's a small group of very vocal you know, supposed linguists online that like to go and trash people on their blogs and YouTube for, you know, not being quote unquote linguists and, 
there was this whole you've probably come across this like I yeah. have I know exactly you know what I'm talking about I'm not going to say their names because I don't yeah. want to give them any extra web traffic but um, no. <laughs> no they're just they are um, I think just angry maladjusted people with daddy issues that are <laughs> taking it out via their supposed linguistic knowledge and everyone else's lack of therefore so but anyway yeah if you know, I think <laughs> I, I feel I feel happy when I study language and for me that's really it you know that's kind of my general mindset I don't whatever people want to do is fine with me I don't care whether they're linguists I don't care whether they're good at the language um, you know it's just it's something that is pleasurable for me and that's the the inspiring spirit for me exactly and I think it is for most people or potentially could be if they got into it right and a lot don't ever get into languages because they do read the, the blog comments by such folks and they think oh well, <laughs> gosh well that's unfortunate see i'm not really on i'm not really on youtube much so i miss a lot of that well it it's the epicenter of you know of happy positive supportive comments on the internet so you that's really, good to know i will definitely yeah. rush there right after this yeah if you, if you need a you know a dose of sunshine. Uh, that's the place to go. Just look at okay, the comments good. on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. <laughs> okay, so back to your language journey. So, post college, then um, you you said you went to grad school as well. Yes, I I got an undergraduate degree in German, and then I went to graduate school in comparative literature. And while I and initially I was thinking primarily German and French, I believe, but I got more and more tugged into English. Mm. I mean, I love English. I love writing, and I, I love feeling that I have control over the, my words. So, I, I mean, I have made a living as a, as a freelance writer for a significant portion of my life. Not right now, but I have done that. And what kind I, of writing did you do? I did all kinds. I did freelance journalism, mm -hmm. and I did uh, increasingly. I live in New York, so there's a lot of business journalism here. And then I did um, more and more corporate work, and um, and then ultimately started a company with my husband that teaches. We teach writing and oral communications and presentation skills to corporate clients. So that's I, in, in Texas. That's that's right. Say right. <laughs> all right. Good. That's right, syntaxis. Um, but but after so by the time I left graduate school, I was really um, more and more immersed in English, leaving the German behind. I definitely left the French behind, and then I stopped really. I'm sort of a I, I sort of suffered from a perfectionist streak, which I I find a lot of the crazed language people are have as well. But indeed. <laughs> yes, um, charged, sort of yeah. OCD types of things and yeah. very all or nothing mentality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so since I wasn't concentrating, and this is how I am with languages. Like I know some people walking down the street or just very casually, they'll pick up little phrases here and there, and you know, kind of store them away. And I, unless I have am focusing with laser intensity on a language, I tend not to notice it's being spoken or remember phrases from it. So. Once I stopped studying it and thinking about these things, they—I mean, I would talk to tourists around the street on the streets of New York. I did that, you know. I always do that. I like talking to random strangers, um, <laughs> but and there are lots of opportunities because people are always walking or taking the the train or buses here. So you really have a lot of people contact that you don't have in as much in other metropolitan areas in the United States, really. And I I 
was talking to tourists and my French, my Spanish, my German for a while. And then I, and then the French and German especially kind of started to fade over the years. And I was, I was writing, I was teaching writing all English, English all day long. And then it really isn't until five years ago, almost five years ago now that I got back into the foreign language stuff. And I even gave away a lot of my foreign language books in the interim. Can you believe it? I can. That's tragic, right? You rebought a lot of them. Well, you know, there's a lot of new stuff and some of them, I mean, some of them were like, um, you know, German books from school that were, they weren't actually language books. They were, they were, um, they were novels and things like that in German. And I, I mark my texts so significantly with, um, pencil. I make so many notes that they're not really very enjoyable to read again <laughs> later. It becomes like my own novel on top of a novel. Right. So it's probably, I don't know why I donated those because I don't think probably anyone else is going to want to wade through all my little pencil notes. But anyway. But it's sad to lose those. I mean, pardon? it's sad to lose all that, that work when you, well, you know, when you give a book away or sell it because all that time that you put into. You no, know. I, you know what though? I'm very practical about that kind of thing because when you, I don't know how you are, but I have books on my shelves that I've read. Generally, when I have read them, I, I rarely go back to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not talking about reference books. I'm not mm-hmm. talking about, you know, book uh, a book a German reference book, because that I would go back to. But like a novel or a nonfiction thing, I don't, I don't generally go back to it. I, I liked, I realized at a certain point that I like to look at it and think about, oh, I read that. <laughs> <laughs> or, maybe, or maybe if someone came over for dinner, oh, you read that. Yeah. <laughs> and then I thought, well, you know what? It's just crowding out my opportunity for new books. So I have a whole new set of everything. It's all alphabetized. It's very tidy. Very cool. I'm looking at it right now as I'm talking to you, and it's making me very happy. And it's kind <laughs> of unlikely that too many of these are going to get thrown away, I have to admit. Okay. Yeah. So you said you started back again in languages about five years ago. That's right. And it was this part of your Words and Worlds of New York project? That was it. That was okay. exactly, yes. So I had been, when, when the economy slowed, you may be aware of a global economic meltdown. I heard something about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was hiding in Taiwan, so I was a little <laughs> okay. bit insulated, but yeah. <laughs> so when when that slowed down, our business slowed down, our, our training business syntaxis and so I thought well I'll do I'll spend you know I'll have more time to write so I looked around for things to write about and um, I you know the first when I had been writing full-time before I was getting sucked into all this business writing which I actually kind of enjoy I mean I am I'm sort of a I have a there's a part of me that's sort of technical and entrepreneurial so it it suited my brain patterns and I still really enjoy I enjoy the classes I teach a lot. As long as, as there are words involved, I tend to enjoy yes. a discussion like that. But um, I was looking around for things to write about. And initially, uh, I was looking, so in the language realm, I was looking at grammar, which I'm completely obsessed with. I love grammar. I could talk about grammar all day long. Um, I could teach a full day comma workshop. I mean, these are like, I just, <laughs> I'm really into it. And so I started reading all these old English grammar books not old English, um, these old books on English grammar. <laughs> they weren't okay. it was grammar books on old English. That was <laughs> just say, wow, maybe, that takes you maybe, to a whole new maybe, level. Maybe down the road, but that yeah. isn't where I was yet. So I thought maybe I could do something about grammar, um, instruction in the United States. Cause this is an area of interest to me, you know, that kids don't get taught enough 
I feel like kids don't get taught enough grammar. I have all these adults in my corporate writing classes who feel very hobbled by their lack of understanding of how the English language is constructed. And it bothers them. I mean, I'm not, this isn't me saying this is how I think they should be. This is what, although I do feel that way a little bit, you know, I think it's important to have control over this thing that is the fat, it's the fabric of our lives. Mm -hmm. We can't get away from language. And so I think understanding it, whether it's intuitively or you can actually technically talk about, it, doesn't matter to me, but having some sense of language structure, knowing when a sentence is off and how to fix it. I mean, right. these are really powerful tools. So I was looking at some of the, all these old grammar books. I don't know if you ever did sentence diagramming. Did you? Uh, yeah, in linguistics, well, I don't know if it's the same thing we're talking about, but we did the whole X-bar thing, the universal grammar and breaking things down into... I don't know if that's the same. There might be... I, I would have to look at one. So you have, you, know, you have your noun phrase and your verb phrase, and then that breaks into the... And what do you do with the prepositional phrase? Uh, you know, it's been so long. I think those go in... Gosh, I actually forgot. In, in the, in the, I learned this, I learned, I guess, the Reed-Kellogg diagram. I think those are part of the noun phrase. Chart. Okay. Yeah. So, well, we would just put, they would, they would go on slanty line. The preposition would go on the slanty line under the verb or under the noun it was modified you know the phrase was modifying yeah. and so anyway I was reading all these old grammar books and I was having so much fun and I think I might go back and do something with that but in the end I wasn't quite sure that was where my heart was fully and I, I so I kept thinking and then one day um, June 30th 2009 to be precise and I believe it was later in the day rather than earlier um, I was running in Central Park as I often do and uh, thinking about things to write about. And I, I thought, well, I should just study a bunch of languages in a year. And um, initially I was thinking 10 in 10 months, like just do a month and see how far I could get with each, which wouldn't be that far, but it would, it would give me exposure to languages I had never thought about. And w one of the things that um, going back to the OCD all or nothing mentality that is very hobbling for a lot of linguophile types mm -hmm. um, it was a it was a structure that would allow me to accept that I couldn't know everything, That's you know. So it was really systematic. Yeah, it was organized, um, and I wouldn't. I, I figured I wouldn't wig out that I didn't learn everything there was to learn about Italian because that's what bugged me. So like using right. French, using French when I feel this, my grasp of um, vocabulary and grammar <laughs> slipping away, it's kind of painful to me. And this was, so this was saying, you know what, that is okay. Whatever little bit you learn is of value and it will be fun and you will get, you will get things that you never got before. Um, so, oh, can I, you know, one thing that crosses my mind as I say that I had been wanting to study Japanese, for example, off and on for some years. And I kept thinking, well, if I'm going to study Japanese, really, I should first refresh my German, my French, my Spanish, because what would be the point of starting a fourth language when my other three mm -hmm. are slipping away? And, you know, then I didn't do anything. Right. And what's the point of that? So I'm really on this, you know, in my even there's a similar refrain in my corporate writing slash grammar slash email classes and in my own language work. I think... Um, too many people get bogged down in this idea that you have to be fluent for it to be useful right. or for it to be interesting and valuable for you. You know, so they say, oh, I can't know everything about French. You know, I'm just, I'm old, I'm tired, <laughs> I, I have, you know, 15 kids, right. um, uh, and they just don't do it at all and turn on the TV instead. And, and so for me, 
coming to a place where I could find value in the little bits in my, in my grammar classes with, with, I teach grammar to adults, you know, which is hard. I think it's not an age when it's as easily impressed on your brain. Are these native speakers of English mostly or are these non-native speakers? They're native speakers. So they just, you know, they didn't get rigorous grammar instruction in school or maybe they forgot about it. I mean, I get a range of, uh, there's a range of knowledge. Right. But these are typically people at large corporations who can have all kinds of job functions. But, you know, they're around, they're sending 100 emails an hour. Exactly. <laughs> right? That might be slightly exaggerated. And they start to forget the, you know, punctuation and mm-hmm. their grammatical issues that fade. They have no idea what a participle is, which, you know, most people don't. You don't need to to write perfectly well. But just that. that yeah, you don't need you, to know the, the why, but you need to know the what. You need to have, yeah. you know what I think happens like with, with my grammar education. So I happen to have it in my head now, but that's because I kept reading about it over the years. But I think what happens when you really get an intensive training in language as a kid, and I'm talking about your native language, you, you often forget the terms, you forget the, the details, but the residue of it stays with you mm-hmm. and it, it fuses with instinct um, and experience to help you experience, to help you appreciate language that you read in a very robust way and also to give you a whole bunch of tools and a sense of control when you're, also, when you're producing your own text. And um, so anyway, I think a lot of people don't have that, but in my, in my adult class in my classes for professionals um i say this is not a class that's going to teach you everything you need to know it's a tool to remind you of what you once learned give you some new information that you may not have and, and help you think about this as a way of life where every little accumulated bit helps you have more power in how you express your ideas in writing and in speech to the people around you and this extends to the way i think about foreign language if you're a business person going to um, you know, going to Italy and you don't speak any Italian, it's, I think it's better to think, well, let me learn a little bit. Right. It'll make the trip more fun. It'll make people feel like I, to put it bluntly, give a shit about another, exactly. trip, which no, is a huge problem for Americans. You know that. Is. Oh yeah. And they, they're always so, well, I say they, I mean, none, you know, non-native speakers of English, when you make any modicum of effort, they're usually so impressed and thankful, even if it's only a, just a smattering of words. It's just, it's it's phenomenal. I mean, the, how low the bar is for us to get <laughs> to get over. I know. I know, and in some languages, you've probably experienced this as well. It's really a lot lower. Yeah. You know, like some languages, you can produce one word. It's like, oh my god, your accent is perfect. Yeah. So amazing. Where did you learn that? Did you go to school? Right, like I exactly. said, hello. Yeah. <laughs> And that, that's probably definitely more true for, you know, like East Asian languages like Japanese and Mandarin than it is for probably French, which right. uh, may be the other end of the spectrum. Uh, <laughs> right. Although I, I don't know. It's weird. I, didn't, I haven't had this experience where people are so scornful of my efforts. I don't really know. Maybe I don't know why people always say that French people are so hostile to attempts. I mean, I guess they do switch to English a lot. Yeah, which is... But, I mean, if their English is a thousand times better than your French, then it, you know, it, it's usually just, that's the path of least resistance. And that, I don't think that's uh, arrogant whatsoever. Well, uh, I also, well, but the idea, you know, people often say they get the scornful response. Yeah, I, and know, that I haven't experienced. I haven't either. And I, I wonder, um, I, I was only in France for two weeks in high school. And I spoke, you know, high school French, so not 
I didn't speak French, <laughs> in other <laughs> words. Um, but you know, I didn't. I didn't see any scornful, uh, you know, responses either. But I did notice in Paris, not in not anywhere else in France, but in Paris, um, you know, it's a big city, and I think a lot of people perhaps mistake the way people are in Paris for being, oh, it's the Parisians. Like, no, this is just people in a big city. And I think uh, if you go to Tokyo, if you go to, you know, I, New York, perhaps, maybe New York's the exception though. You may, you may disagree. I don't know. Um, but I think a lot of big cities, it's just, it's a consequence of there being so many people crammed in a small space with things to do. I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? Right. Well, maybe if you're in a crowded cafe and you're stumbling over words while they have 20 other tables right. waiting to give their order, it makes a difference. But, um, and I, I think it's possible that um, there's also an accumulated burden in history that affects the experience of the individual language learner. I mean, when, you know, if, if we as a nation are roaming around the world constantly expecting people to speak English to us and having very, you know, low standards for what, <laughs> what qualifies as speaking a foreign language. Right. Maybe people sometimes get a little impatient with that. So that's... Uh, that's another good that, point. Yeah. yeah. But know, anyway. Yeah, and, I, and I've definitely encountered people who perhaps because they get such raving uh, responses to their three or four words they use that kind of goes to their head. Think, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, speak, yes. I speak Japanese, people. That's okay, really I, ordered, I ordered sushi and I speak Japanese. I am a badass. That's right. So or that's a taco. You all you have to do is order right. a taco and you speak Spanish. Even uh, though you may get the wrong in you know, you may have you may right. actually una, una taco belly, poor but. favor. <laughs> that's right. Yes. I speak Espangol. Um so let's go back to your your mission then when you began learning all these languages. Um and the idea you said one month per language, give or take, or what was well your... that changed that changed, changed by the next morning. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I mean, I I have I, I have some practicality in my nature, not not always, but sometimes. So by the next morning, it was two months per language, six for a year. So I had a a year plan, and I think I can't remember how long that change it took to change to two years. I soon realized a year wasn't going to do it, and then the two years became three years, three years became four years, and um, now I have. You know, it never. I just downloaded Ukrainian onto my iPod last oh, night, so I don't know what's going to happen to me next. <laughs> I actually downloaded several languages, but um, I'm just play. I'm looking at what I want to do next. So it's. I think this is. Um, this is a, a, a for the foreseeable future. This is something that's going to occupy my attention, and I would just like to amend a word choice there because um, I feel I don't want to misrepresent my either my abilities or what I think other people can or should do so I decided to have this crazy study adventure it's certainly studying languages um, I now do it usually for three months per language by the way I keep I kept expanding so but doing a language for three months isn't going to unless you're a savant or something isn't generally going to get you the the language um, but it gets you something and that's right. you know that's the idea for me so uh, the languages I speak the best now are still the ones that I studied more intensively in school, but uh, I expect over time as I keep working on other ones that I'll um, acquire more at what I think is a, a, high, a high level. Now here's and, a question for you on that point you just made. Mm -hmm. Do you think um, 
that your stronger ability in those languages is due to the fact you studied them in a formal setting, or is it just the cumulative number of hours you spent, or a bit of column A and a bit of column B? I think, well, I am sure that I learned a great deal about how to study a language from the many excellent language classes I took. Mm -hmm. So whatever I bring to my approach as an adult on my own to studying languages, I have to credit classes in my past. I don't know if I would be as effective if I hadn't had that kind of training. And I, I mean, I had really very rigorous language classes where there was oral working, you know, a lot of people, it's, this is an interesting thing to me. I hear so many complaints about high school classes and I, f I feel great about my high school experience. We had, we talked in class, there was discussion, Q and A, you know, the, the teacher was constantly eliciting oral responses from us, which is appropriate for class. We would sometimes review exercises we had done or things like that, but there was a lot of conversation in class or we would discuss texts we had read in the foreign language. And then, you know, at home we did a lot of the grammar type of work that I think is very useful for as an underpinning, but not everyone reacts to that kind of training that way, you know, so I don't, I don't have a one size fits all mentality mentality about it. but I think generally the people who learn languages most thoroughly and the best probably have a combination of inputs mm -hmm. and you know I, I like speaking a language so that I don't make a huge number of grammatical errors um, and I feel them on the rise in all my languages right now <laughs> you know it's like this constant battle against entropy yeah. ah! it's like whack-a-mole it is That's, <laughs> that is it yeah I want to go run off and write a blog entry called that. Anyway, um, yeah. I've lost. I've, John, you're too interesting. I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> what were we saying before that? Keep me on I've track. I've never been accused of that before, so I'll take it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, I think it was, yeah, it was the difference of, over. sorry? I'm all over it now. I remember. Okay. All by myself. Um, you were asking about, yeah, yeah so anyway, um, I put way, I put more hours into them. And that makes a huge difference. And on top of that, the the ones I studied in school, I've now had more returns to mm -hmm. than the others. You know, so for example, in my modern language learning life, the one that began four or five years ago, it's like four. I think it's it's four point seven years ago now. I have I'm not sure what the exact math is. How many minutes? Uh, <laughs> I could actually figure that out. So don't be a wise guy. <laughs> it's all documented. Okay. I'll <laughs> Um, but, uh, I like Italian and Portuguese, let me take Italian as an example. So Italian, I really knew zero of, and I started that from scratch, did three months exactly. And at the end of that, I got myself tested, not, you know, like a major five hour test or anything like that, but I, I actually went to a testing service and had them do an oral and written test. And I scored higher than I've scored on the German French and Spanish class uh, tests that I've taken with them, which is a little bit depressing in a way. But my point is, I think um, at least the the methodology is in place, and maybe partly it comes in in my head now how mm -hmm. to tackle a language. And part of it now is I've had the experience of learning one. I've had the experience of good teachers guiding me through how to do it. Right. Um, how much of that do you think also might be due to the similarities in grammar and? vocabulary between Romance languages. Do you think I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. Um, 
of course that that creates confusion i a lot yeah, of it's, my, a, it's a win and a loss right right it is and um i some people get you know i've noticed some people get very um very worried about that for me you know I, if i'm making the decision well should i study portuguese and spanish and then suffer the consequences of having some language pollution across the two um <laughs> it's sort of a no-brainer to me and other people are like oh i'm not going to study that it's going to completely mess up my other language so for me i'd rather um i get the benefit of knowing another romance language and then i start making little weird mistakes in all of them i mean even stuff like how you say and I found like it when I'm writing it or I don't know, like where do the accents go? Cause they often on very similar words, either there is one or points a different direction mm -hmm. or so. So I start to look a lot less literate <laughs> than, than I was before I ever started doing this in sort of basic ways in writing, I think, but it's just, it's fun. That's the thing. Like I, I, I think this is just so much fun. So I really don't care. Fun gets done. <laughs> is that the, is that your slogan? That's not my. I wish it was. No, that's from uh, Katsumoto. From really? All Japanese all the time. Yeah, it's a great little, great little that's tagline. That's a really good one. Well, that yeah. that's sort of the, going back to the. You got me thinking about that linguistics thing. I mean, really, that's why that keeps getting deferred because I was looking at linguistics, um, you know, thirty years ago. Have I looked at linguistics yet? No. So yeah. obviously there's something <laughs> that's pushing it away. Yeah. It, it but, um... doesn't look fun. And it, yeah. <laughs> no, and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you know, if yeah. you start off thinking it's going to be difficult or not fun, just like a language. If, I actually just wrote a post about that uh, over on Benny's blog about you know why Japanese is easier than you think. And I was very careful. I didn't say it's easy. I said in many ways it's easier than you probably think. Um, what is, can you tell me just one of those ways? Uh, I it's very easy. Well, if you're a native English speaker, for example, you start from day one with a massive pool of foreign loan words that you can leverage. Uh, um, I mean, since World War II, they have borrowed thousands and thousands and thousands of English words into the language. And granted, the pronunciation's different, so you got to learn the, you know, pronunciation patterns, and there are some... Uh, you know, what they call waseigo, where they make their own new words out of chunks of other English words. That can be a little right. confusing. But, but, you know, all in all, the vast majority are extremely intuitive. And so if you learn hiragana, so you know all the sounds of the language and katakana, of course, um, when in doubt, you can always just use an English word you know, but put it under a, you know, Japanese uh, blanket and more often than not, you'll be understood. So, um, you know which one I really liked? I, I can't, I don't want to venture to pronounce it now because I don't remember exactly how to do it, but I remember coming across for studio, studio apartment in Japanese. It was one room mansion. Right. Yeah, I loved manchon, that. Manchon. Actually, <laughs> that's one of my favorite exceptions. So that's one that it's a loan word that is, its meaning has been changed. Um, but when I lived in Japan, I would always brag to my friends back home. Yeah, I live in a mansion. In Japan. It's, awesome. <laughs> it's really well. It, it's you know, it was very meaningful for a place like New York, where you can really, you can <laughs> spend, you can spend on a studio if you pick the right building. You can spend on a studio what you could spend on a mansion somewhere else. So it was pretty funny. Maybe that's that the time. etymology. Maybe, they, <laughs> Maybe. They, some a Japanese diplomat was in New York, running a, a flat there, and he's like, oh, okay. Just, I think that could be. Yeah, there you go. We figured it out. That's right. But I find sometimes that kind of 
for me, that kind of word is difficult. Like I still remember the, um, with Italian, uh, you have, I guess fewer, you don't have as many loan words, I guess, but you have things like, so the word for nylon, mm -hmm. which I believe was spelled N Y L O N in Italian or for computer, you know, which I believe is spelled the same way. You then go to the dictionary, which has no, um, it, it, the Italian English dictionary, double check the pronunciation, but because it's an Italian dictionary and it's phonetic, there's no pronunciation, you know, there's no pronunciation assistance. Hmm. So you get this loan word without, I mean, you have other resources at your disposal, but right. you get this loan word without a key to the pronunciation, like you would have in an English dictionary because mm. English is such a mess. Everything has to be spelled <laughs> out for everyone. Right. right. But, um, but then, you know, I'd be looking at these things. Well, is it, you know, do I, do I say pew like in our computer or is mm -hmm. it just computer or yeah. what, you know, what do you do? And same with nylon, like what the hell do I do with that? Why? So, yeah. um, sometimes that stuff throws me more. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's a valid point, you know, that, uh, things that look familiar can be false friends for sure. And, yeah. and there's all the false cognates, you know, between all the romance languages and between like Spanish and English. Like, I just, just started Spanish recently and, you know, of course, how's it going? It's going well. Uh, yeah. I need to do more of it. I've been a little bit too lazy, I think in my, <laughs> my day to day study, but, uh, John, I have a few words for you on that. Yes. Fun gets done. I've heard that somewhere. <laughs> heard that. Let me write that down. <laughs> See, I'm a quick study. Yes, See you how are. quickly I yeah. pick up. Well played. Thank you. Um, but the uh, what was it? Uh, oh, the word for pregnant and embarrassed. Oh yeah, right? that's a good one. That's a good one. Always good. Um, so yeah, but uh, no, I, I think. All in all, I think it's better to highlight, at least in the early days of a language, what are the easy things? What are the, the early wins? You know, what are the things that from day one you have an advantage in based on either your native language or other languages you've studied? I mean, why not? Why not be, maybe it's just my personality, but I think it's far better to start off with the positives and then, you know, use the motivation you get from your early wins to then tackle the more difficult elements of the language. No, I think that makes sense. I personally, personally, um, uh, pro I don't know. I don't know if I, there's something that I kind of get a kick out of though, if I'm starting a language, like, um, you know, I, I was, I'm trying to pick a, a language to do with Pimsleur right now. And I was, I so I listened, that. Your, your Pimsleur diet. That's... I'm on the Pimsleur diet. Yes. <laughs> That's interesting. I think it will work. Um, <laughs> Paul, Paul would be so proud. <laughs> yes. yes, my my Pimsleur diet, just in case anyone is wondering, involves uh, exercising eating with CDs, two CDs, e a day. eating CDs. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because they're high in fiber. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yes, it involves uh, doing Pimsleur lessons while I run or walk, and um, it it is it is a lot of fun for me because I feel so busy right now. But if I can kind of merge those two things mm -hmm. and it, I just get so much more done and I appreciate both of them a lot, you know, I feel great because I've been outside, I've seen trees, right. um, and, uh, and I also learn a language. But anyway, I was listening. I was, so I listened, I, I listened to the first few, few moments of a few different languages to see what I thought I could handle right now. And there's something about, like, I listened to the Cantonese one <laughs> and I thought, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> But I'm 
I'm thinking I might do that one because cool. I, I, I don't know. I might be, I guess I'm a little bit of a masochist, but there's something about the, the, the complete bewilderment that amuses yeah. me, you know? Yeah. Well, it's exotic. It's, 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 you know, it's different. It's, uh, yeah, it's completely, uh, foreign probably to anything you've ever studied. That is a really appropriate word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but just, I think such an important part of, um, you know, as you, as one gets older, being willing to laugh at oneself and be made a fool of, mm -hmm. I feel as though this kind of activity helps with that because you, how you, you sound ridiculous at first and you're completely confused mm -hmm. and or rather I'll say, I'll speak. That was the general you, uh, but I'll say about myself. I don't know. I think it's good for me to spend time really, really confused and sometimes frustrated because Things aren't always supposed to be so easy, you know. It's nice to have that challenge, and then to be able to to giggle when it gets too rid ridiculous. Yeah, I think that's a one of the major reasons why children, um, you know, people always say children learn languages better than adults, and I, I don't agree with that in some ways. Um, but I think one of the big advantages they have is that they just don't care about making a fool of themselves. They don't realize <laughs> they're making mistakes, you know. Those silly does. kids. Those silly kids. <laughs> Uh, and they sound so great while they're they, not caring. Well, it's a, it's so they sound adorable. Ah. Uh, I have a, a five-year-old nephew that I take care of uh, most days. And uh, yeah, it's been amazing to see him make the exact same grammatical and pronunciation mistakes that I saw Japanese and Mandarin learners of English make. Interesting. It's yeah, it's fast. And I learned that in linguistics, you know, that a lot of the... You know, there's a whole order of acquisition theory where we tend to learn certain things in the same order. Uh, and I, I think that that's been at least anecdotally confirmed in my own life. So fascinating. That's great. See, that's why I want to know that stuff. There you go. See, I'm trying to, I'm trying to sell it to you. Yeah. So that, so that I think it's fun. That's right. Okay, good. Well, I'll keep it's working. working. On it. I'll whittle it's away working. at you. All right. Um, so Cantonese then, you're thinking is the next... The next, well, uh, I'm not okay. Here's the thing. So I'm not gonna. I I don't want to make a full on three month commitment to okay. a language right now. I I want to just kind of. What I want is so my Pimsleur diet. Like seriously, I just want to get myself. <laughs> I've been sitting on the sofa with my grammar books too much. So I want to get myself out more. And so it's just going to be for my running and walking. I don't think I'm going to like go get grammar books on Cantonese and, um, you know do the full on thing. I think I'm going to flit about a little bit right now. I think this is, I'll see if it works. Cause it is a little hard on my brain to flit about too much. But I, what I'm thinking is I might just do the available Pimsleur lessons for Cantonese and then maybe do Lithuanian and then wow. maybe do, um, I'm also, I have Tagalog that I'm looking at huh. and you know, just, just, yeah. and Oh, and I also, I thought the Danish sounded pretty cool. They only have 10 lessons for that. I think. But just flit around a little bit while I'm out there and spring is coming. You know, it's been a long, cold, hard winter and I haven't, I feel like I've, I'm getting a little stir crazy. So I just want to get out there. Nice. Yeah. That's a great way to do it. I think so. And then, so then I'll just, so it'll be more of playing around with those languages. I'm really working right now on, I, I'm, I'm trying to get through a whole bunch of germ. I want to review some German, French, Italian, Portuguese, Spanish materials that I'm looking at, at on my shelf right now that I committed to reviewing and that I actually like reading, mm -hmm. but I have quite a few to get through. So that will, 
remain my written work, but you know, I figure I could have some fun with the oral stuff. So maybe run us through a, a typical day then, um, or maybe an ideal day of language learning for you. What would it look like, like from morning to evening? Uh, and I, uh, okay. So I, I get up and I go get coffee yes. armed with, <laughs> armed with some sort of language book in which I do some work while I become more alert and on the way. So on my way back and forth to get the coffee, I have on a Pimsleur lesson. I, I tend not to go anywhere without a Pimsleur lesson. And is, that I'm actually, your, is that your favorite audio material? It is my absolute favorite. I mean, I, so just to be, let me just say right now, I am not uh, on the payroll of this company. <laughs> I do not get financial compensation or anything like that. I actually found them. I kept bugging them. I would call up and say, hey, this thing, on, I have a question about the Arabic, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I found them through the library back in 2009. And they had, they, they had materials on the shelf of the New York Public Library. And um, I had never heard of them. I'd never heard of them. No, I, I feel as though a lot of people haven't heard of them, but I, their lessons are hard. I find, especially for non, you know, languages that are very different from English mm -hmm. and, uh, and frustrating, but I, I find them the most intense in terms of drilling and practice and pronunciation and, you know, putting puzzles of the vocabulary, you know, small amount of vocabulary, mm -hmm. you accumulate at the beginning into different patterns so that you become more versatile in using them in conversation. So for me, it's really been the wedge that takes me from the books into my beginning conversations with people where I can actually then get further. Right. So I, I love it for that. So I, yeah, if I go to the grocery store, I have Pimsleur lessons on. If I go, if I'm doing the laundry, I have Pimsleur lessons on. If I'm doing the dishes, I often have Pimsleur lessons on. And it's a very delicate, I have to do a lot of adjustment. You know, the water can't be on too high because then it will drown out the lesson. <laughs> right. um, and people do not turn on your uh, headsets, you know, don't turn it, turn the volume up, volume up too high or you will be experiencing hearing loss later in life. So I also what? want to be very careful about that. You know what I mean? I don't do it on planes for that reason because you have to turn them on too high to hear them over the plane. I couldn't sound. hear what you said. I, I, my yeah, okay. <laughs> and then, so then I'll come back home and write a blog entry. Uh, this is my ideal day. You know, it doesn't yeah, always, let's, it doesn't let's always go that. down that yeah. way. Um, and then I actually have to work, you know, sometimes I have to maintain my business. So that usually occupies some time in every day, although my schedule is very erratic and I'll, then I'll start studying some more. You know, maybe I'll do some memorize on the computer. Memorize.com is one of my favorite things right now for Arabic. I don't know. Have you ever used that? I have. Yeah. Okay. Uh, memorize is great. You like it? I do. Uh, we, what do you think about it for have you have you seen the Chinese the piece for they have um the Chinese characters on there? Yeah. Like five hundred at a time. Yeah. Um I, I mean I, I like memorize. I think it has a lot of potential. I, I do think it has its shortcomings. Um yeah. one of my frustrations with it, and this is true of most um language learning sites and apps, is that they do things uh out of context. They just have, you know, an individual word usually on its own. And granted, you can add your own sentence in the, what do they call it? The uh, mems. You can add your own mem. Right. A, a mnemonic. Um, I never do that. Yeah, because it takes a lot of time. <laughs> it takes a lot. It takes a lot of time. And yeah. I'm not, I'm not a really big 
mnemonic type of person anyway. Okay. So I don't really care that much. Although some of them are funny. Yeah. I, I, have to say. I think for, for learning characters, I think that mnemonics are essential. Yeah. For me, I personally, I think they're essential, but, um, and, and their collection of mnemonics on there, I mean, they're, it's better than nothing. And you can choose usually from, you know, two to like 10 different community generated mnemonics. Um, but I think for characters, uh, I'm a bigger fan of the Heisig method. Mm -hmm. Remembering the kanji and remembering the Hansa. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing about user contributed content <laughs> is it's not rigorously edited. It's exactly. random. The quality exactly. is random. I mean, I, I generally am very careful about sites that have user contributed content. I really believe in the value of carefully written, carefully edited um, uh, materials, pub you know, that are published with a with a process where you really have people who know what they're doing, looking at all stages of the development and contributing useful edits and insights and making sure things are as correct as possible. I mean, most of the books on my the books on my shelves have mistakes. I'm they. It's kind of it's kind of hard not to because when you're talking about editing something that has two languages in it, right? The chance of getting someone who's a really sophisticated editor in both languages. I mean, it's just it just doesn't. So they're mistakes, but whatever. They're a lot better edited than a lot of the user can way better edited than a lot of the user contributed content on the web. So they I'm very <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. Period. You yeah, know what, edited. John? Yeah. That's a very good point. And so that makes a difference. And that's where my attention usually is. It's on things that are issued with that kind of attention to detail. Mm -hmm. But the one thing, so the thing that um, my selections on memorize are very limited. Like I don't, I don't go for romance languages or things like that on there usually, but I, I have discovered these Arabic model modules that have been so helpful to me. And I would just like to correct your statement about the one word thing, because what you may not realize is that you can learn extremely useful things. Like, for example, I can now read, um, I can't actually produce, I'm realizing I can't actually produce it off the top of my head right now. It's not in my active vocabulary yet. But when I see it on the screen, I can recognize the following. Uh, is this a crescent moon? No, it is not a crescent moon. <laughs> and what more could you want? And then I think there's one about, you know, then I can do, I can recognize the gazelle is running. See, so full ideas okay. that you want to use in your daily urban life. Yes. I mean, especially in New York City. I, yes, <laughs> the, the, the gazelles are just out of control, especially during the, the the waning cycle of the moon. I hear so. Yeah, but it's so some of them, most of most of the modules don't do it for me. I like to I like yeah. the ones where the audio and exactly. I like, um, but but for for me, um, so Arabic is very a very different story from, you know, from what you would need to do with kanji. It's a limited number of characters and really it's getting used to seeing them and reading them quickly. And it's made such a huge difference for me. This has been like the ability to just drill quickly over and over again, whenever I feel like it, right. you know, there's an, there's just endless supply of content for Arabic in particular. Like it's much better than for Hebrew. Huh. Uh, and you know, that just depends on who got involved and what they right. put up. It's kind of random, but I love that there are three or four that I'm using for Arabic and it has completely changed my learning experience for that. So I, I treasure that. And then I use it judiciously keeping in mind that there are going to be mistakes in there, which there are. I mean, sometimes it's a technical glitch too. You probably encountered that. Yeah. Like, 
It's right. not set up correctly by the user. It doesn't quite work with the infrastructure. Um, you know, I'm often told to type the Arabic when I'm actually supposed to type the English, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. But, um, but that's what I love the web for is that that kind of intensive, um, drilling work that's hard to replicate in a, in a book. Exactly. And you get the audio and you get visuals that are audio interactive. is great. I love, the, I love the audio. It's really great. And making you type it out so you can actually yeah. test your, you know, your active output. Right. It's so ones. different. It's so different. Right now I'm focusing, I, I was doing more of that with the Arabic for a while and I got, I think it was a little premature for me. So I've been focusing more on my reading ability and I'm going to go back afterwards to the one where I actually have to produce the words more quickly, but, um, by actually typing the letters myself, but I feel so much more comfortable now. It's really been a great, a great joy and it keeps me up too late. So I'm completely, <laughs> I'm completely sleep deprived all the time. Well, that's healthy. You know. I know it's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sitting, sitting on the couch, reading grammar books and not sleeping. I mean, that's, that's it's, right. a, it's a recipe for optimal health. I know. <laughs> I, it's, that's what my, my next book is going to, my, my book, my, no, my first language learning book, I think it will be a health book. There you go. In another language. How, how, do, <laughs> how to live a healthy life. Yeah. Stay up all night, compulsively <laughs> things on memorize <laughs> and make sure make sure you're eating donuts too while you're doing that no there are no donuts no there donuts. are no but there's a lot of coffee so then drink okay. tons of coffee while you you know try to make up for your lack of sleep and yeah it's great i hold coffee as a health food no one can do it <laughs> otherwise um okay so you you're on memorize and then finish out the rest of the day what would it oh right so then i like to do some grammar book work and um, the language is, you know, often I'm doing a three-month stint. What I've often been doing is a three-month stint with a language. So I'll have a bunch of materials. Maybe there's some vocab. Maybe actually I'll have a vocabulary book or audio things of vocabulary. Um, I'll have a grammar book. So I'll do some work on that. And then I'm afraid I've been kind of tempted by, there's a polyglots page on Facebook that I've been kind of hanging out on too much lately, which is very enticing because it's people from, you know, around the world talking language stuff. So I find that very tempting and I learn a lot from them. What, it's what, actually, what's the site called or what's the, uh, or do you not want to share it? It's your little secret. Well, I didn't, I hope that they won't mind if I share, I didn't start it. I, I am an administrator on it now, but it's, uh, it's polyglots. That's the name of the page, and the uh, it's polyglotas is the that's the group. So P O L I G L O T A S, and uh, it's a really great group of people. Okay, we need some more Mandarin speakers. Oh, well, so I, I might know one. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. We're kind of short on that, but you know, we were theorizing that that could be about the um, the Facebook ban. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, kind of makes sense. Yeah, native speakers. Yeah, certainly. Definitely. Yeah, right. Um, you might want to. Well, Taiwan maybe about Facebook. No yeah, problem. right. But for, we still seem to have a shortage. But I mean, maybe they're hanging out on other pages. Well, it's also, you know, a slight difference in population between Taiwan, and <laughs> mainland China. Just a, a skosh. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're on Facebook. Uh, Chatting away in, in these uh, I, think I'm communities. Regret, I think I'm gonna regret saying that 
because I like, you know, my ideal life is that I not I should not be on Facebook. Because here's the thing. So my project, Words and Worlds of New York, the idea behind that is that you go out and you talk to people in real life who are around you. And that's mm -hmm. a huge motivate a huge motivation for learning a language and retaining it and what a great way to get practice. So one of the things I did for that project is roam all over the city. Um, you know, Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, Manhattan. I'm very, very, very sorry if anyone from Staten Island hears this, but um, I haven't yet been to Staten Island for the project, although I have been there multiple times for other reasons. Um, it is not actually the most linguistically diverse borough in New York City, um, but there's definitely stuff going on there that I want to check out. But going, you know, going around, going to... Um, you know, like a Dutch group or going to, like, I would go, I did a little translation work for an Italian firm um, that I just happened to find through one of my running activities and um, roaming neighborhoods and just walking into shops and talking to people. So I've been doing less of that lately, which is bad, very, very, very bad, but that's the idea of it. So my ideal day is that I get back to that more and, and actually talk to people more. I do, I do like people, and, and really when you get down to it, the point of language is largely to use it with other human beings. Um, but I enjoy that, I, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> So that, I mean, my ideal day, if we're going to construct my ideal day, my ideal day would consist of going somewhere, getting out, going somewhere where I can practice a language with someone. And um, I've lost track of what time it is, but I think I probably accommodated, accounted for a large portion of my, my day by now. I'm always trying to review, I'm always trying to review products for my website too. So I have, I'm partway through a gazillion products right now because yeah, I think more than any site or blog in, in this, you know, the language blogosphere, I think you might have the widest or at least highest quality set of reviews I've found. Thank you so much for that. That actually, so now that you've brought up this thing, this is this was really this is really my goal because um, to to develop that much 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 more and also to make it a little bit um, more useful and usable for people who are just coming. Because right now, for example, if you go to the site and you go to the review section and you pick um, Italian, you're going to be overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. There's a lot. I mean. Well, some people won't, but some people will. Some people just want you to say, okay, use this, this, and this, right. and go away, right? They don't want to read through and see. I like to look at reviews. I like to see what um, – I like to go through a whole bunch of stuff and decide what I want to use based on the way I operate. But some people just want to be told what to do. So I have some ideas for how to make the reviews more user-friendly so that um, people can get advice that will suit them a little bit more efficiently without going through – uh, I tend to go in detail because I take these reviews very seriously. So I don't, you know, I don't buy a German book and then, or get a review copy depending on the situation, but I don't get a book and flip through it and write something up about how I think it looks. I do the book mm -hmm. in almost all cases. I mean, that's, it's become, you know, if I hate the book, then I might not finish it. Right. And then you won't review it probably. <laughs> or, uh, or you give a bad review. That's not true. Yeah. Because no? okay. That's not true. Cause you know, there are, I remember there was a teach yourself book, mm -hmm. um, just as one example that I really hated. I thought that, and this is part of my mission. I, I really don't like it when a book is or book or a product is marketed as like a solve all your life problems with learning the language. Right. And then you open the thing and it's, it's edited with no eye for how people actually learn no eye or ear for that. 
you know, so that they maybe they lay down some um, audio tracks where it, it's basically someone reading very quickly a, a few things that are in the book. Mm-hmm. No interaction, no um, no real benefit, no clear design to the audio, except just to say, look, there's a CD package with the book. So exactly. some, of the, some of the teach yourself products, although some of them are good, some of them are really not good in that way. So I'm, I, I use this one where it was just impossible. They were hurling all this printed, it was, in, you know, another writing system. Um, so it was not, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the Latin alphabet. So totally unfamiliar writing system, all these dialogues, all this random audio, just that you, you had to pause and rewind and you couldn't, you couldn't understand the language explanations. And so if I see a book like that, I really do want to write that up because otherwise people are going to, going to go to amazon.com or barnesandnoble.com and they'll go buy it and think that'll be good. So I want to say which ones are good and which ones are bad. That's my goal. And to know that you really have to immerse yourself in, in them. A lot of the reviews that you see, um, not to, you know, not to diss hardworking writers who, who think about these things with care, but I mean, think or who try, but you know, if you're reading stuff in a newspaper, for example, reviewing a language product, a lot of times the person, you know, it's a, it's a journalist who has a million deadlines. I don't think yeah. they're going to spend hundreds and hundreds of hours going through a language product. Yeah. And they're and st- probably not a language expert or probably don't speak another language themselves. Maybe, maybe okay. not. I actually think in some ways those two things are less important because mm-hmm. I think some of my best reviewing work comes when I have no clue what's going on. You know, like now if I review an Italian or German product, I really have to concentrate to think about what is what is it that I already know that I'm bringing to the text that a newcomer for this basic book hmm. or whatever level it is, that a newcomer won't won't know. I have to remember that because yeah. otherwise they're going to pick it up. Like it might be fine for me, but for them it won't be. So I really try to keep that in mind, but it's easier to keep it in mind if you truly have no clue. So I, I consider my role as reviewer to try as much as possible to replicate the experience of a, of a newcomer to a product so that I know whether it will work. And, um, <laughs> you know, if you keep that perspective in mind, then my best work will always be in languages I know nothing about. So I should just <laughs> keep picking up new ones. <laughs> there you go. That's the argument. In my case, I think, you know, if this is really my role, that's sort of a, a use, it's useful to be a perpetual dilettante rather than an expert <sighs> language. Um, but also I think I have, because I, I've been teaching my whole life and I think, I think I'm a fairly interactive and, um, you know, student aware teacher overall. I, I hope that's a fair assessment. Yeah, that I also really do think about how not just I learn because I am idiosyncratic mm-hmm. in certain ways, but how people learn and how much exposure they need to a concept before they move on. I mean, this is why I love Pimsleur so much, for example, because or why I'm fond of, of Memorize right now, because that they don't throw some, you know, a chapter on prepositions at you and then. You know, you have all these little tiny words that are very hard to remember, and then you move on to a new chapter, and you haven't really been drilled or gotten enough work, or the exercises have sucked. I, I just, I really have keep an eye out for very practical things like that, um, and am committed to, um, I don't want to say exposing, but deflating some of the more hyperbolic claims out there. Yes. Um, you know, Would the you best- be willing to, to share a few of those? Well, I mean, I, I think a few of the products you think might be 
well, got better I, marketed than they deserve. <laughs> I wonder if you have something in particular in mind. I'm not thinking of anything. You're I have not? nothing in mind. Nothing. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, one of the most <laughs> one of the most visited pages on my site is a piece I wrote, or I think already um, two or three years ago, uh, where I finally said, "Okay, I'm going to just sit down and write a very detailed analysis of." Rosetta Stone versus my what you already know is my favorite product. I, Rosetta I, who? Sorry. I've never heard of those guys. Rosetta Stone versus Pimsleur. So now <laughs> here's the thing: I've seen reviews of Rosetta Stone in publications, in reputable publications, that were fairly positive, and this perplexes it perplexed me. But I, I think it goes back to what I was just saying that people don't use them for dozens of hours they just mm -hmm. putz around a little bit in them and and you know see what it looks like and it looks pretty cool i mean there right. are things that that look they they made it they designed a pretty interface yeah. um but when you really but i do not encounter people maybe you have that have gone through say if there are three levels of a language for rosetta stone i have not encountered people so there are five i think for some um i don't think there are more than five but I have not encountered people who make it through all three levels. Hmm. I've never encountered anyone that did that. I also never encounter serious language learners who use that. Right. So it's the thing that is on the public's mind because they've had a supremely effective and sophisticated marketing campaign. I mean, just think about how much money they've spent on that, you know, putting kiosks up in airports and um, all the, I mean, just all the advertising nonstop. Right. But if you, if you, I have these fantasies of doing a, you know, of doing a, a testing scenario where I take 10 people who know nothing of a language and uh, 20, let's make it 20, 20 people who know nothing of a language, giving 10 of them Pimsleur and 10 of them Rosetta Stone and seeing what, and making them sign a contract of honesty that they won't go running around doing other stuff. Although I don't really like that because I like to do a bunch of things at once. I don't really like constraining people, but just in terms of what you would be able to produce, you know, if you were talking to people, which I think for most people is an, it's usually the, the top criterion. Some people do language learning to be able to read foreign texts, but a lot of people want to be able to talk. Mm -hmm. So get 20 people like that, set them up with Rosetta Stone, have them log their hours, have the Pimsleur people log their hours and see what people can do at the end of that. It's, I, I already know the outcome. Yeah. The outcome is going to be, it's going to be so different. The gap between the people who do the Pimsleur and the people who do the Rosetta Stone. But I would like, I, I mean, I, I would kind of like to test it because it annoys me. It doesn't annoy me, but it saddens me that the question that I hear the most from anyone who ever hears about my activities, what do you think of Rosetta Stone? I get asked that all yeah. the time. You probably do too. All the time, yeah. Because you know, just as you said before, they they have marketed so well that you know people that know nothing of language learning or have never tried to learn a language, they they know of Rosetta Stone. So that's the first thing that pops in their head when they think language. Oh, Rosetta Stone. So. Yeah, and I mean, you know, they. So. I think the idea of a language company. I mean, when I first heard about that, I thought it was amazing. But some stuff just does not work. For example, they have a voice recognition. Some of the units in there are really not well designed. Like the writing units are mm -hmm. impossible. Um, they don't train you properly to succeed. It, you know, like a carefully edited product will train you to succeed at each level. 
Right. You know, and if you if you aren't ready, it will be set up so that you know to go back and review, and it's comfortable and all that stuff. But Rosetta Stone has gaps, so there are things it doesn't tell you. You can get massively frustrated. I I think for, compared to the average person in terms of my ability to grasp a write a new writing system or to become familiar with writing in a foreign language, mm-hmm. I think that is that's probably where my aptitudes are stronger. I would get to the writing units and I would get like 20%. I would do so badly where I get 100% on everything else. I get to a writing unit, I get 20%. That just, that just told me that there was something not right about the way the product was constructed. And I, I went through, um, cum- cumulatively, I did hundreds of hours of Rosetta Stone. I've done thousands of hours of Pimsleur. So I really think more than most people on the planet, I've looked at some of these things in depth in a way that is not the norm and I'm ready to judge. Yeah. I want to say, to be fair, at least from my side here, I don't think it's terrible. I do think it it has some things to it, which are not bad, but for an $800 price tag, you know, I think it's come down, but you know, there are other things that, um, you know, they have an option now. So here's another thing. Like what do you, how do you want, your materials delivered to you. Last I checked, which was pretty recent, they have an option now to bring the pricing down where you can do a subscription, you know, like three months subscription, or I think even one month subscription, you pay less for that. But when you're done, I believe you have nothing left, you know, so you can pay for the package and have it and install the software and have access to the instructional materials. But with the subscription at the end, like I'm sitting here, it's gone. And I'm, I'm looking at my shelves now. I have my German practice book. I have my living language Arabic. I have my Portuguese flashcards. These are going to sit here and I can go back to them. I think the idea of a subscription, and I, I am aware of that putting maybe, you know, I think they aren't the only people who are going to be doing that. I just think it's a terrible idea. I really don't recommend doing it unless you have a desperate urge. I guess someone who has a desperate, urgent business need and they, do not care and they're not going to ever go back to it, maybe, but otherwise I would not go that route. I would just get a better product for less money that will mm-hmm. teach you more and keep it so that you can look at it again. It's so sad, all that stuff. Your mournfulness when you heard I gave away my language books. Yeah. You sound sad. And you lost, yeah. Yeah. I Actually, I didn't know that. You lost it after the end of the, the membership. That's, that's, what, that's what I was told by my Rosetta Stone representative, and that's what it looks like. I think that's why it's cheaper because you don't yeah. get to install it and keep it so well, plus it's, it's device uh centric then i mean you have to have it installed on a particular device which is annoying um i hate installation stuff yeah i hate i hate what is this 1995 hello it, for me it is and you know <laughs> i hate to say that because of course you know i do take advantage of technology i think it's very important not to be a luddite because uh, there are a lot of language learning possibilities now that didn't exist, but there's also a lot of pollution all over the internet with yeah. all these second rate things that, and, and, you know, a lot of, I see a lot of young people in particular who've grown up with the internet, not recognizing the difference in quality very easily. Um, you know, they're writing their term papers off of <laughs> questionable websites too, but, sure. but there's, there's a difference. It matters. I think balancing the more advanced capabilities with traditional materials that you can rely on in, in certain ways um, is a good approach. I was going to say that the speech recognition on Rosetta Stone, it simply doesn't work. You know, I would be sitting there cursing. I mean, I'd end cursing into my microphone. <laughs> it's just, it's, it, the tech. So what that, what that says to me 
like when people just throw CDs onto the back of the book and act like you have a comprehensive language mm -hmm. course, it's just some terrible CD. Or when you're given audio, when you're given speech, a microphone and you're told, oh, we have speech recognition. So you can be told if you're saying things correctly, the technology actually has to work. Right. And if it doesn't work, then you are being deceived. And I don't yeah. like that. And they may, you know, people may go into it with good intentions, but whatever the, whatever the motivation, it's ill-informed. Correct. Yeah, I think going back to what you said about the writing component of Rosetta Stone, I mean, I can see the meeting at Rosetta Stone Corporate. They're like, yeah, we really need to have all four skills. So let's add a writing piece. And oh, and they're so similar. They too. just threw it in, you know, without, and that's why you could only do 20%. The grammar is so, and the grammar is so, it's not good. Well, I mean, oh, here's the other thing. I mean, I don't know how you feel, but this raises the whole question of immersion. Right, like do you take an immersion approach, or do you at the beginning have a blended approach where you have? I mean, if 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 someone just wanted to throw me into a pool in Japan, I would probably learn pretty quickly. But I'm at, I personally am actually going to learn more quickly if I can get out of the pool and and walk into a little language classroom and have a little orientation because that orientation will give me a wedge into ways to acquire Japanese more quickly. Mm -hmm. So Rosetta Stone is. It's monolingual. Whatever the target language is, that's what you're getting it in. And um, that's a way to make it. I, I don't know what the intention, you know, the intention, is, the purported intention, intention is to allow you to immerse yourself the way a child would. Right. And, you know, we learn by, children learn by immersion. So, um, but we are adults. And I can't, and you know, I have all kinds of tools at my disposal to learn that I didn't have when I was a kid that for me speed up the process. And it, you know, I can't help noticing that having it in one language allows them to market it globally Correct. much more easily. That's, so that's, is it a marketing thing yeah. or is it, pedagogic, is it a pedagogical principle that is sound? I don't know. I, I think to be fair, it's a bit of both, mm -hmm. but I think likely it's more the business case than it is the linguistic case that's my yeah point. like i mean you know pimsleur it's hard it's harder for them because they do have like they have english for people who speak they have english lessons for people who speak a number of different foreign languages like they have separate products for those categories right. you know so english for spanish speakers english for I, I don't know all the different languages maybe english right. for mandarin speakers um but the other the rest of their line is has explanation and prompts in English, so it would it's hard to market outside, at least a reasonably competent English speaking marketplace. But I I for me it's an, it really speeds up the learning process mm -hmm. to have someone at least, and then they convert and they start giving you more prompts in the foreign language and right. so on as you go along. But there's a process, right? Yeah, it's, it's tricky. I mean, I in linguistics, for example, I mean we did learn that, um, you know, when you are going back and forth constantly between English and the target language that um, that can lead to some uh, cross-translation problems and it might encode the language in a way that won't be, uh, how do I put it, it won't lead to fluency or at least not native level fluency the way that pure immersion would, but you have to go back to what is your goal. I mean, are, do you want to be a native speaker of this target language or do you want to be able to learn it? as quickly and efficiently as possible so you can use it even if you're making a couple mistakes and you know that's an, yeah and i think um that's a great point and i i think it's more of a, more problematic for some people than for others i what I, I don't know 
I'm not really very big into self-assessment on language skills because <laughs> <laughs> first of all, half the things that people say aren't true anyway. <laughs> it's well, very hard to judge. I just did an assessment and I'm awesome. Uh, well, that's, I'm I, sure that's you... the result I got. There was, there was, anyway. there was suck, okay, pretty good, and awesome. And that was awesome. So. That's excellent. Well, I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> so, but if I had to assess where I'm stronger than other areas, I think one area, this is my impression, which has not been externally verified in, 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 a, very, in a specific way, but I feel as though I have, perhaps I have less trouble with that with the translation tendency, you know, I, that is an issue for some people that they, if they hear a lot of English at the same time, that they then start thinking in translation and doing literal, they start doing literal translations and screw themselves up. I really don't feel that's what happens to me. I feel like the English is the wedge just to get the explanation, but that when I am composing things, even in languages that I don't know well, that I really start in the target language. And, you know, so I may learn a little, whatever it is, you know, port- learn a little Portuguese. And then I'm testing as I'm thinking, trying to compose things. I'm actually, I feel that I'm actually thinking in Portuguese. And so my limitations um, prevent me from thinking very well, but I don't think I'm translating mm. typically. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm deluding myself about that. I think it is a concern. Some people uh, you know, language pollution of all kinds is more problematic for some people than others. Like some people can learn three languages um, and keep them all completely straight, and other people just immediately start bleeding one into the other. And I think our brains are all different. We sort of we have to develop different strategies based on that. Of course, I think anyone who's an adept language learner feels that way too, or instructor feels that way too. You know, you have to know how you operate. And I, I'm not, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a universal language learner type. I don't know. I have do you, my things. Do you subscribe to the multiple intelligences theory? Um, Are you familiar with it, or is that something vaguely? But why don't you, why don't you give me a working definition so I can answer the question right instead of just about <laughs> something? Uh, well, this is something I learned about in uh, TESOL when I'm learning how to teach English to non-native mm-hmm. speakers. Um, it's the idea that there's uh, eight or nine, depending on who you talk to, types of intelligence, not just one, you know, you're not just smart or stupid. There, <laughs> um, uh, I believe it was Howard Gardner, mm-hmm. who wrote the book uh, that kind of made this popular back in the I think it was 70s or 80s. Um, and there is, let's see, there's linguistic intelligence, mathematical intelligence, Spatial intelligence, musical intelligence, interpersonal intelligence, intrapersonal intelligence, um, existential intelligence. Uh, I'm forgetting. Oh, bodily kinesthetic intelligence. That's what I'm What's that one? That's just basically the, the, uh, the ability to control your body, know where your body is in space. Um, so as an example, if you were a person that was very adept in music you picked up music very quickly and could play an instrument you would probably have very strong musical intelligence but also very strong bodily kinesthetic intelligence because you really? can hear the music but you also can control your fingers in a way to play uh, an instrument mm-hmm. i don't have that musical one which is interesting because you know when i pick up you're more into you know the grammar side and the the words themselves and the meanings and so that would make sense that you've come at language from that angle. Um, but 
I, the reason I bring this up is I think there are many ways to crack the nut, the linguistic nut, and you've come at from that side. Whereas if I take a multiple intelligence survey, I actually score fairly low in linguistic intelligence. I score much higher in musical intelligence and others. And so how are you on the spatial? Hi, that's another See, one. See, I, I'm pretty sure that I'm very low on that. <laughs> <laughs> Because I get lost doing my Pimsleur lessons. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so I can be doing fine with the language and end up in the wrong town. Yeah, um, <laughs> which is fun in its own way. That's another way. It makes an adventure. But, uh, you know, the other – oh, so that reminds me of one thing. Like for, for me with grammar, um, a lot of people – I mean huge numbers of people say how useless it is that it doesn't translate into being able to speak. For me, it absolutely does because – I, I can really see, you know, usually like I'll do audio lessons alongside grammar books, alongside vocabulary work. And I can see that things that I've learned in my book actually will make their way into my speech. Mm. You know, if I've learned a, an oral pattern using other words and, but I've figured out a conjugation for something else in my book and I've learned a subordinating conjunction, I can put those together in my speech, even if I haven't, um, been trained to say them previously right. and I and that is you know not that other people can't do that but I think that that's another place that I um I may not be having a typical experience yeah I, I think that that's it's fascinating that these differences exist and I think that that would speak to higher you know linguistic intelligence if you buy that whole theory um whereas I I, I, I can't do that very well. And so you do, so I find it interesting. So you are musical. More so. I can't, I can't play any instruments, but. Did you say uh, it was musical, not one of the ones you said? Yeah, musical intelligence. Okay. Is one of so, and, and it's, but, it's but, more about sound. I think music's a bit of a misnomer. It's more, you can pick up on sound patterns um, and you can also imitate fairly well. Okay. And that's something I've always been good at is if I, I, you know, I can do accents, I can do impersonations. And so. When I came to languages, if I hear something, I can usually parrot it back fairly accurately, even if I don't speak the language at all. So when when you when you repeat something, do people say with delight, "What a marvelous accent you have"? Yes, but, that, <laughs> but then I but then I don't understand what they just said. <laughs> I don't speak the language yet. <laughs> See, I'm not. You know, I do think that my accent generally is pretty good. I mean, I think my accent abilities are above average, but. I've noticed that if I go to a party with with my husband and we meet, you know, we meet people from all over the world here. Just, it's just such an international city. So if we go to a party and we meet someone um, who speaks another language and they teach, you know, that person teaches us something that my husband is the one that gets the acclaim, not me. <laughs> <laughs> so the person's, the person's going, oh, that's amazing. That was wonderful. Yes, exactly that. And I'll, I'll be repeating it and thinking it sounds pretty good. And they'll say, huh. um, not quite. Try again. <laughs> so I have my, but I, I still think I'm going to maintain, perhaps irrationally, that I'm above average at accents, but I think my husband is superior and I, he's more musical than I am. Mm -hmm. um, I think I'm probably inclined to have more trouble with tonal languages mm -hmm. you know i had this experience when i was working on my mandarin my family was visiting and they were sitting in my living room my husband was there too so every every single person in the room was more musical than i was and we were talking about the the tones for um i don't even want to try right now it's been too long but you know how the 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 
the basic sounds for horse and mother right. and that, what, yeah, that, that old chestnut. Yeah. Right. The, the whole right. sentence you so, make with the, the mother scolded the horse with hemp. Exactly. Yeah. So it's M-A, right? Yeah. Okay. M-A sound. Okay. So anyway, they weren't impressed with me. My, I mean, but I felt like they were, pra- I felt like one of my relatives was practically singing it, <laughs> which I just think is cheating, <laughs> but I just, whatever works, <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I couldn't, you know, I could, I could hear the difference. I actually think I can sometimes hear the difference, but I can't quite replicate it. Mm. Um, but you know, you work on it, yeah. whatever. So that's something I have to work a little harder at than others. Interesting. Yeah. But I mean, I, I think this is proof. I mean, that there are just many paths to the same place and whatever, whatever I think is more natural to you start there. And then you could build off of your, again, it built off your early wins. And then, you know, for me, the, the grammatical patterns and the, the conjugation is a little bit more challenging. And so that takes more time for me. Um, but if, if I just say it enough times and I hear it enough times, um, I can start creating the correct utterances without really knowing why yet. And I learned the why later and kind of, I get very frustrated if I don't know the why right away. And I recently realized that something that something that I, that happens in my head that I guess isn't universal, which I'd never really thought about. I actually see verb tables in my head. Do you? I don't know, but that's, are you sure that you, you don't though? Cause I never thought about consciously. And I think again, that I think this is, yeah, our, there are so many different ways our brains work. Like when you, so with Spanish, you know, when you have the, all that say the present tense conjugations of a verb, mm-hmm. um, so you, and you needed, let's say you needed to pluck out the singular informal, um, second person, you wouldn't, are you positive that you don't sort of see something in your head that no, you no, pluck from? What, what happens is I, I hear the word, uh, let's say it's the informal you, I hear that and then I hear what sounds right next. Like what, what would be the, uh, in my procedural memory, what have I heard in the past come after that word? This is why I think that I'm often not as effective in the early stages because it's very hard for me when I'm going mm-hmm. more on instinct and feeling. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me. I, I feel like I have to lock it down. And, it, and you know, I don't know how this Pimsleur diet thing is going to go because if I really am doing oral stuff, I there's the risk I'll get very frustrated that I can't see it because I won't be able to pluck things from visual <laughs> verb tables. Yeah. No, it's, it, it's usually now, I'm remembering earlier on, you, you found, you know, Pimsleur very difficult at times and frustrating. And I, and I actually, I, I held my tongue, but I was actually thinking, to me, I find it much easier and much more intuitive than a lot of other materials out there. Really? Yeah. How interesting. Have you, so have you done, have you done, what languages have you done with I them? did Pimsleur Russian one a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did, I did the Japanese one. I already spoke Japanese. So I just did it just to see if it was worth recommending to others. Um, and I thought, yeah, this is good. Um, but again, I wasn't a beginner, so I don't know, you know, as you said, it's hard to, you try to put yourselves in the shoes right. of a beginner, but yeah. it's hard to do. Um, yeah. Did you, did you know any Russian when you did the Russian? No, not at all. So did you have to redo lessons? Um, one or two of them. I That's had to redo, it? But usually I could go on as long as it, as long as the lessons were spaced apart, no more than like a day or two. John, this is so illuminating for me because in all seriousness, I've really like with, 
Hebrew or Arabic or Russian. I well, I don't remember as well with Russian, but I have to redo lessons. I mean, I definitely. Oh my God, with Korean, forget it. I would sometimes do lessons four or five times, and I think a little bit of that is my compulsiveness because you know they say, oh, you only have to get like eighty percent. Right. There is no way in hell that I am going on when I'm like eighty percent. I would just get, I would be maddened. It would make yeah. me crazy. So I have to get closer. I think to ninety-five percent to feel comfortable. I guess. I mean, I how do you, I'm not measuring as I'm going along, but so that slows me down. I get too frustrated otherwise, and that's a temperament kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But it's a it is an intellectual, it's a mental discomfort kind of thing because mm -hmm. I don't have it stamped properly. I create like um, I create fake temporary spellings for these things in my head. So I actually, if I don't have a right, if I'm not reading about the language while I'm doing the Pimsleur lessons, I make there's a visual spelling that I make in my head. And then like with Russian, I would finally see the word in real life and say, <laughs> no, no way, <laughs> wrong, no way, that's crazy. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it took me so long to like get thank you right because I had seen it in my head. It just looked yeah. very different. Yeah, they, all these people are spelling it wrong. Oh, don't hold your tongue. I want, I'm so glad you said that because <laughs> no, because sometimes I feel guilty writing the pencil reviews because I worry that it's. I think they're. I think some of them are very hard, and I wonder. I, I don't know how. I don't want people to try them and be frustrated. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's good to hear that you find, you find them easier than I do. I, I, I won't say they're easy, but I mean, I did. But they, I did they, nine. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say that they're more intuitive, or they're more in line with, I think, the way my brain works. Yeah, um, I think um, I did. I did ninety Italian Pimsleur lessons in nineteen days. Wow. So with that one, I was able to blow through. I didn't have to repeat lessons and but you know that is such a familiar language and at the same time I was doing grammar books vocabulary all kinds of stuff so I think it would have been harder for me if I hadn't had that going on mm -hmm. so it's not it's not a clean experiment but that's so interesting yeah different strokes do you know Korean uh I in college I had dabbled in it just a tiny bit uh I spent some time learning the you know the script which it's so logical. I love just how systematic it is compared with other languages. Um, but grammatically, it's very similar to Japanese, which I haven't really learned it yet. But when I do... You'll have that advantage. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I want, I want to control the experiment with you in a language that would be really hard for you. and see um, Arabic, I want to learn. I have, I have no exposure to that. Uh, maybe you should do... You could do the, the 30 modern standard lessons and report back to me. Okay. I mean, I think they're hard. If I had, I had already done all 90 um, lessons that they had for Eastern Arabic when I did the modern standard. So I didn't have to repeat them a lot. But if I hadn't had the other and been doing all this other Arabic stuff on the side, I think I would have had to repeat them multiple times. So okay. when you do it, when you do it, report back. Okay. I will. It's okay, a deal. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Um, I, I was going to ask you earlier when we were talking about. Uh, language products. Have you tried Duolingo by chance? Well, I think I was on, is that the site I was on last night? Yeah. D-U-O-L-I-N-G-O. Yeah, yeah. Right. No, I know. I think, do they have a lot of languages or just a few? They have Spanish, Portuguese, French, and I want to say German. Yeah, German. Yeah. I, I actually went back on there. A lot of people like that. I 
So I tried it about a year ago, just real quickly, and it, it didn't really grab me. But I started it again uh, when I was starting Spanish more aggressively a couple months ago, and I'm addicted. It's, really? I, I think they've... Why? It, a lot like why you like memorize. I think it's really well designed. I like the, you know, the fact you have reading, speaking, and writing all integrated. And I think they do a pretty good job of it. Um, especially for something like Spanish where you have to type out each word and put the accent in the right place. That's something I probably would not pick up as naturally. I'd have to really, you know, force myself to do it otherwise, but it forces me to do it. So I, so I think my experience with Duolingo is I, I didn't really get attracted to it, but the problem I would be a lot more interested if they had, wait, I'm just going there right now just to remind myself. They don't have it. So they don't have anything but those European languages, yeah, right? Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. So I don't think it's, I think the problem for me is that it doesn't feel appropriate for me in my, condi in my condition. In condition. My, condi <laughs> my condition being that even though I make grammatical mistakes in all those languages, I've studied them at some point or another to a pretty advanced level in terms right. of grammar. So what happens now, like I, it was actually Duolingo I was on last night. I went back because people keep asking me about it. Um, and I, I really have hardly been on there. So I went and I did a German quiz and now granted it was like one in the morning or something. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't maybe giving my full attention, but I got, I made mistakes. And then, so I, I said, okay, I'm going to accept the placement and um, do the lessons that they are saying are appropriate for me. And I started the lesson and it was just so not the right level. So I think if you're, you know, if I were acquiring a language from scratch and really building, maybe I would like it more. But what I'm, what I kind of need is a quick reminder of some grammatical mm -hmm. things. And then it's I think not, it's, it's not designed for that. No, it's not, no. it's not the right. Uh, right. No, so it's a, I, it's a beginner I want day to, one build from nothing kind exactly. of Exactly. Yeah. So I, I would love to try it if they would add um something that I that I don't have. Like if I could do tie on there or something, yeah. that would be awesome. I, I think they're gonna get there because um there's actually a TED talk by the founder, um, which his whole motivation for this is translating the web, basically. It's a, gonna be a user generated form of, of online translation. Because as you get higher up in the in the levels Instead of them having, um, you know, basic sort of uh, purposefully designed lessons, it gets to be more about they give you a chunk of text somewhere on the internet and you have to translate it. And then they compare your translation to that that other people have done. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. I hate, you know, one of my problems is I just really hate being on a computer. Well, they have an app. That's the, All right. Well, so a little computer. Yeah. Well, well yeah. Fair enough. But, <laughs> no, uh, but it does make a difference. If I can, I mean, I, it's really, I have an aversion to mouse clicking and sitting in front of a screen, but I guess if I can hold it on my lap, it's a little different. But you can't run through Central Park. No. Yeah. And I really, I do like separate, I like, but I have a romantic attachment to books and I have, I like very simple things. That's why I like running. You know, that's why I run instead of playing hockey or something right. like that, because it's very, Low maintenance. Right. I'm apparently I'm very in certain fundamental ways I'm very lazy. <laughs> I don't know. I have a hard time finding that, but no. But I am very impatient for for startup labor. Mm. You know, getting equipment, setting things right, up. It's, right. it's very. It, I don't like it. I like books. You 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 touch the cover. Mm -hmm. 
you pinch it between two fingers. Well, usually between your thumb, I guess your thumb and another finger. If you're not, you know, do this like normal people. I use my feet. Open the book. (laughs) You open the book and magic. Yes. You have, there's no technical trouble. You don't have to call the company and you don't have internet issues. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. really for me. battery never dies on your paperback. It's amazing. I even have trouble with multimedia things like where I have to put a CD in and use a book. I mean, it is, I admit it. It's (laughs) a, I'm very, I like very, very simple things. Yeah. No, I'm I'm the same way. I have a, I would even call it a fetish level of attraction to books, but, um, I can tell because of the way you respond. I mean, seriously, your response. <laughs> yes. I, I, I participated in the story about getting rid of books the other day. That probably is going to cause you, like, clearing out your bookshelves. It, it's the last I've, thing. I mean, I've, I've actually, I, over the last few years, I've been committing myself more and more to sort of a minimalist existence and trying to own as few things as possible. But my bookshelf is the last holdout. And it, it's tough because... I, yeah, I mean, everything I, the time I spend adding notes and highlights and things that, that has value to me and it's sad to, to lose. Right. That. But aren't there things on there that you don't do that with? Uh, or, most, is there, or do you do those are, <laughs> you interact with every book? <laughs> yeah. Well, if, if I don't add highlights or things, it's probably their fiction, which I hardly ever read. I should read mm-hmm. more fiction, truth be told. But, uh, you, you, what, what did you say? I said, if I don't highlight, it's probably fiction. That's probably the yeah. only exception. If it's a nonfiction book, which accounts for 99% of what I have right. <laughs> and read, it's going to be pretty heavily highlighted. Well, I do sympathize. And, you know, no matter what people say, you can't, as far as I know, unless you know something different, because I'd, I'd love to be um, kept up to date on this stuff. You can't mark things on a on a reader the way you can on paper. So yeah. I I looked into that about a year ago when I was deciding what, what device to get. And I was unimpressed with it. I mean, the way I take notes mm-hmm. is like, I have already said it, I write a novel on a novel and you simply, simply <laughs> can't do that. You can't do that on a device the way you can on paper. So until they fix that, I don't have that religious reverence for books that involves, um, you know, never, never touching them with any writing implement that mm-hmm. wouldn't work for me. Yeah. I, I think they'll get there eventually. Um, it probably will. And I will probably participate, but I don't like the way, I don't even like the way they get hot still. Yeah. Those things. <laughs> yeah. My legs, I have like yeah. third degree burns on my legs. <laughs> yes. No one ever told us that reading would be dangerous. I know. <laughs> uh, well, the Nazis tried, but yes. um, <laughs> yeah. I, and, you know, recently I've been trying to transition to buying eBooks you know, largely just because I, you know, I tend to move around a lot year to year and I like to travel. So I hate when I want to reference a book and I don't have it with me, but I have the ebook and it's in my pocket. So, so that's, I'm, I'm transitioning and I do like that you can then search for something quickly. Right. Um, that's the, that's a huge plus. I have mm-hmm. to admit that I'm aware of as a drawback of my method. Um, but yeah, pros and cons. Um, but yeah, do Going back to the, the Duolingo thing, I think uh, I think it's worth giving another look. But as you said, it's tough to give it a, a fair shake uh, from the beginner point of view because you already speak or read most of those languages pretty 
Yeah, I should review. Stuff. I should really review it though, because I know other people would like it. I mean, I I know people like it, but it, I don't know. I just I don't feel so connected to it. Yeah, no, I get it, and it because well, it's not. It's a. Uh, it is. You're bound to the device, whether it's a computer or an yeah. iPhone or whatever. Um, but you know, recently my routine is just like you take your Pimsleur in your ears as you go get coffee. Um, I have Michelle Thomas Spanish in the car. And then I, when I get to a coffee shop, then I fire up Duolingo and then I run through you know, 30 minutes to an hour in that. And what I love about it is it automatically schedules reviews of past material, you know, it's sort of a gamified. So you have these little levels. Right. That you That's saw. very valuable. Yeah. And then, you know, a week or two later after I finished a lesson already, it'll show me, oh, it's not gold anymore. It's lost. It's gone down to like one or two bars or something. I need to go back and review it. And it's, so far, it's been pretty well-timed. Like, I'm just about to forget something, and then I go back and review it. Well, I do. <laughs> um, that's not as graphic as what you get on Memorize. I think there's, like, a dirty mm -hmm. fingernail status over there. Have you yeah. noticed that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering about that one. But anyway. Yeah. Well, Memorize, still... I, I like their, their approach, too. I mean, the whole watering the plants thing. And you know, that's, that's pretty neat. That's a nice metaphor. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not... That, that kind of thing doesn't make it a lot of, doesn't have a lot of effect on me. I'm very, but I, I appreciate good aesthetics, but I definitely like very hardcore content. So mm. I'll take another look at Duolingo though. Right. Sorry, Duolingo. I, I didn't mean to, <laughs> if anyone's listening. Not personal. No, I know a lot of people that are addicted though. I do. Yeah. No, I, and I think that they, I think they're here to stay. And I think that they, of all the different sites out there right now, I think they them and Memorize, I think, are the ones to watch. I think they're oh, that's they, interesting. They're well funded. Um, they actually have language people at the helm. They're not just you know business folks trying to get a quick cash grab or go to an right. IPO. Right. Um, you know, they're actually people that care <laughs> about the product. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. Funny. I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> um, so I think we're getting almost to two hours here. So I better reel this down um my last question i was going to have you share um which we've already covered a few products but what would be in addition to pimsleur and different books you have what would be like your top three to five language products well i really i really like um i use rutledge a lot rutledge very can you spell it up uh, Rutledge, so products from um, the company Rutledge, R-O-U-T-L-E-D-G-E. -E. Books are fair game for this question, right? Indeed. Yes. Okay. So uh, they have, I've also noticed that a lot of the people that hang out on the Polyglots page use their materials a lot. In general, they seem to be fonder of, um, so they have multiple language lines. I mean, if you go on their website, um, it is a crazy amount of material, crazy, hmm. um, and quite serious. So they have material for a bazillion languages and, um, they have various grammar series. I mean, not just like one grammar series, they have multiple types of grammar series. And then they have, they, um, they have a colloquial series that a lot of the people on the polyglots page seem to like, I noticed they keep mentioning it. I don't actually use that as much, but, hmm. um, but where you get, there's a CD that comes with it or audio files. If you want to go the more modern route and you get, um, I think they have, for example, for Arabic, I think they have a colloquial product where you get text and probably also, I think it's also audio for 
the various dialects. So, you know, it's really a substantial collection of products. Um, and then I have used, am I limited to three? Okay, I've used, I've used a million of the Practice Makes Perfect um, books from McGraw-Hill. Some of them are not great. You know, the quality is uneven, but some of them I really like. Um, and they're getting into more and more languages. So, um, what are some of the languages that you thought they did a good job on? Well, I liked the Italian ones a lot. So for me, you know, again, we're going back to this problem. I call it a problem because I love doing grammar exercises or drills. I mean, they're not just about grammar. They also have things for vocabulary, books for vocabulary in this series. They, they just got, I mean, they must have hundreds of books by now um, in this series. But I, so I liked them for Italian. I didn't like them quite as much for German. Um, and I also like the Spanish, I mean, the French better than the Spanish, but they have products now. They have some for Portuguese. They have them for, they have one for Hindi that I just noticed. They also, I also have a book of theirs from Japanese, which was, it used, it, it's actually just a reissue. It looks like to me of a, of a book that was published. Do they someday. include kanji? In the book, or is it Romaji? This one is not kanji. It is. Wait, let me let me double check that. I'm looking at my shelf to be sure. I don't think there's any kanji in it. I would have to remind myself. But um, so they're uneven, though. It's like a. It, it does have a little bit of their books, unlike Rutledge's, which seem to me to be slower and more careful. Mm -hmm. They. It's more of a factory feel with the practice makes perfect, but there's more. I feel like the, the drilling is more substantial in the, in those books. It's like, it feels a little lighter weight than the Rutledge, which is often pretty intense and heavy. I mean, those things are, are often for like pretty, they're for pretty serious. Right. So probably <laughs> pretty serious like students. a combination of the two or. I do. I, you know, it depends on the language because mm -hmm. I can't get, I, I can't get practice makes perfect, but they, oh, they have Arabic too. And I haven't tried those yet. Those are relatively new. The practice makes perfect as Arabic now, but there are a lot more established materials for Arabic through Rutledge, which has also, you know, for example, they have Rutledge will have for Arabic. Uh, they have a series, which I think either already has, or is about to come out with a third um, volume where you learn modern standard Arabic, which is, not spoken, you know, you usually, you have your, you, you have your colloquial Arabic of your region. So you learn mm -hmm. the modern standard, which is the written broadly, which is the written form that you'll hear newscasters use and so on, the more formal universally understood Arabic. But then you also alongside, you can learn colloquial Eastern Arabic, which is spoken in Syria and Jordan. And that's sort of an unusual product. I'm just saying like Rutledge mm -hmm. has, Rutledge has really advanced offerings. I didn't explain that so well. And then I also like, um, I like Asamil, but I haven't done much with them and I'm supposed to have, so I'm sorry, Asamil, but I do, I think that they have a very witty, responsible product. Have you, do you use them? I haven't used them personally, um, mm -hmm. but I do recommend them from what I've seen, uh, like of their Japanese product. I, I really like that they have the very simple format with Japanese on one side, English on the other, and then an audio version of that. And I think that that, for my style, is, is, you know, I think really powerful. It makes an impression on me that some very, very serious language learners I know are really attached to Asimil. And I think they're justified in it. it. I sometimes get tempted. I've been tempted away a little bit from them. But when I, when I use 
that I, I do love it. And then for a relatively cheap entry into the inexpensive mm-hmm. um, entry into the market, I think living language is surprisingly nice. I didn't yeah. expect it to be very good because they advertise on the subways. Right. I didn't like their ads. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> I think one message, one of my realizations is that you have to be a little bit careful about making too many assumptions about the product based on the advertising because in both it works in both directions. The ads can be terrible and the product can be good or the advertising can be great and the product can be terrible. But so they, I think their ads aren't very good and I made a judgment about them that for, and I didn't try them forever, but now that I've looked at them, I think they're pretty good. You, yeah. so you've used them. I have. Yeah. I've, and I've also heard a lot of uh, other language learners that I respect also hold them with high regard. So yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. They're very, they, they really pay attention to, I think to how people learn. So it's very mm-hmm. systematic. Yeah, I think it's one of the better self-guided approaches out there. It's a little bit, I felt like it maybe got a little repetitive and slow for me in Portuguese, but I still thought it was good. Okay, so that's number four. Let's just do five. Let's round it out. Let's do five. I'm really glad I'm sitting next to my shelves because this is going to help. You know, a lot of people love, the teach yourself books, but I'm not as keen on them generally. Do you use those? I, I've looked at them. I haven't used it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, have, I don't I, have an educated opinion. They they have it's it you know it depends on the writer. So mm-hmm. I've used I've used a few that I a couple that I've loved, but then a lot of them I don't think that the exercises are very good. And I don't like you know the exercise. So forget whether you like grammar or not. I mean, it's not really about that. The exercise, whatever the exercise is, whether it's based on a dialogue or it's a vocabulary-based thing or it's you know geared, it's just geared to get you to use the language. It has to do it in an intelligent way. And I feel as though too many of their offerings have exercises that are sort of just there for show. Like uh, they might have, um, they might have five questions, mm-hmm. and you're done with the exercise already. That's not enough or it's too frivolous or they show a cute little picture and then you answer. I mean, it's just, it's not very sophisticated from my point of view. So a lot of people love those things. I've noticed that and I just don't really use them so much. I'm looking at, um, I can't, I'm going to feel really, really bad if I get off the phone (laughs) and then there's some series that I completely, completely, oh, I know one that I like. I know this will be online. So there's a company called Antosh and Lynn. Have you heard of them? I haven't. No. Okay. So they have, I feel as though this is an under, under, well, it's too little known for what it is. So uh, if you just Google on, on the web and Antosh and Lynn, it's um, a husband and wife team, A N T O S C H and Lynn, L-I-N, um, and they have a website will come up, antoshandlynn.com. There are hyphens in there, so just Google it. Uh, and they have one, two, three, four, I'm looking at them right now, 12 different languages ranging from Chinese to Thai to Portuguese to French to Dutch. Most of them are just called the name of the language hyphen flashcards.com. Mm-hmm. So Russian is Russian hyphen flashcards.com. So if you go there, it, it's it's quite simple aesthetically, but if you look at the material, there is just gobs. It's more, way more than flashcards in the end. They have all different kinds. You can play around with all kinds of settings and levels, and they have, you know, from one language 
to the other and then the other direction. You could fill in the blanks so you can actually have to write things or you can just, there's audio if you pay, I think $8 a month, something like that. But once you, so this is really good for polyglots, by the way. If you pay your $8 or whatever it is, it's right around that range a month, you actually get access to all 12 languages. So this is like a dream. I think this is especially appealing for multilingual types because you can play around with a ton of stuff and i've i've enjoyed it i've gone from one to the next and really gotten a kick out of it um and it's very very smart and the audio is good i really i just think you know sometimes you can feel the presence of a very intelligent hand behind (laughs) behind a product and i feel as though they are people who who put some real thought and care into the the way this was set up. So I love it. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, and you, never... if you don't want to pay for audio, you get it for free. Yeah. Very cool. A freemium model. I like it. <laughs> That's right. Very cool. Yeah. I'd never heard of these guys. I'll definitely dig in here. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So it's, it's a Rutledge practice makes perfect. Asimil. Asimil. I always say that wrong. Um, living language and Antosh and Lynn. Antosh and Lynn. But you know, you're painting me. I because know. I you, know. Okay, you know you're painting me. Right? I know. I should there's said, a lot of great stuff. What are I your did. top 275 language learning tools? So. <laughs> oh, by the way, I'm just going to throw one more. Dover Publications does have some very inexpensive books. And, and sometimes on they often do um, reissues of very old books but they're they're you can get some really inexpensive stuff there and that's d-o-v-e-r d-o-v-e-r dover publications um yeah so i i actually have a lot of their books but if you're if you're looking for something they they update things periodically but their older grammatical texts grammar texts um are generally not going to have words like internet in there Mm. like who cares you just say internet everyone (laughs) will know what you're talking about internet that's the universal internet yeah there's another yeah japanese loan word there you go uh awesome well this is a lot to chew on i think we have a lot to to share here with our happy avid listeners all six of them are really really thankful i think (laughs) (laughs) no it's been a pleasure it's been an absolute blast Oh, it's been a delight for me, too. Thank you so much, John. Thank you for being on. And uh, where can people find you if they want to learn more about your adventures in language learning around New York and your various product reviews? Well, they go to myname.com. So it's Ellen, spelled the usual way, E-L-L-E-N. And then my last name is Joven, J-O, V as in Victor, I-N as in Nancy, ellenjoven.com. And I have way over a thousand pages now on that website so wow. I think people will visit very cool well, we appreciate it. all you've done and i'm looking forward to a duolingo review all right future. good that's it's your homework list. and then i, I need Bye. to do arabic okay that's right we can report back okay good awesome <laughs> it was really nice talking to you thank you okay we'll be in touch okay bye-bye take care well there you have it I hope you enjoyed my chat with Ellen. For show notes and to learn more about her, go to languagemastery.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed the show and want to earn some good karma, please consider rating the show on iTunes. 
It helps more people find the show, lets me know what you like and what you don't like, and makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside.